morning, everyone. Should we pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for the way that your word speaks to us today. Lord, help us to think clearly today about what the gospel is and what it means for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, we are on the second of our sermon series, Telling a Better Story, in which we are thinking about how do we share the story of God, the story of the gospel, and our story within that, in a world that does not know that story at all. How do we share that in a way that is both compelling and attractive and relevant? And uh, last week, uh, Beck started us off by thinking about creation because this first part of this series is thinking about the good news, the gospel. Uh, and it will fin- this part will finish next week with Rob. Uh, so we thought about what creation means now to, to people today and how do they relate to the creation story and how can we talk about that to them? And today, I've got the task, which I gave to myself, to be honest, because I choose these things, uh, of talking about the fall, about sin. So that's what we're going to think about today, sin and the fall, because it plays an important part in the gospel, doesn't it? It's kind of key, because sin is the problem, the problem of us being separated from God. That is the cause of it all. That's why we need a saviour. If there was no sin in the world, we wouldn't need Jesus there would be no need for the good news because we would all still be in the Garden of Eden, walking in that garden in the cool of the day with God at our side. We would all still be in that place and wouldn't that be lovely? But we're not because there is a problem that we have, a universal problem. And that problem is our sinfulness. And that's not gone away. And no matter how much society changes, no matter how much people talk differently about how they communicate and share stuff with each other, the problem is always the same. Sin. So how can we actually talk about that today? Particularly in a society where there is almost no such thing as sin. I mean, just think about our politicians at the moment. Maybe you don't want to think about them. They can lie and they can cheat and no one holds them to account. And you'll see on uh, the news, I mean the news like to do this, don't they? They'll ask different people their opinion and uh, you'll get someone saying, oh yeah, the, the Prime Minister must go. And then someone will say, yeah, but he's doing a good job so he should stay. Because that's what really matters, he's done a good job. His character seemingly doesn't matter anymore. Because we live in a society where... Well, actually, what is right and wrong anymore? It used to be, probably actually not that long ago, where there was a kind of common sense of what was right and wrong. People knew what was right. And they knew what sin was. And there was a kind of agreement about that, generally. But now, today, that's no longer the case. You will have heard people on TV talk about the truth. I don't even know what that really means. Because if it's not true for all, is it really true? But now, now it's all relative. It's all, what does this mean to me? 
And so we live in a society where there are competing ideas of what is right or wrong. And in the midst of all of that, we are trying to share something of what we believe are moral absolutes about God, about what he wants from us, about what sin is and what it isn't. We are in the midst of all that, trying to communicate to people that there is a problem with this world, that problem is sin, but everyone's saying, well, what is sin? How do we communicate in that? It's not easy, is it? And if any of you have spoken to anyone uh, about sin and the fall and that kind of stuff, you'll know that there are some really difficult discussions to be had. It's not that there isn't sin in our society. In large parts of our it's not it's never unique. In large parts of our society, sin is about how you treat people. If you are not allowing people to live their life their way, that is sinful. And you'll be cancelled and not allowed to speak anywhere. To try and claim that there are, in some way, moral absolutes will lead you to be demonised in today's society. So, in trying to talk about the gospel, we are constantly walking along a tightrope of trying to hold on to what is right and also communicate to an unbelieving society that don't believe that there is such a thing as sin. But it's interesting, isn't it, that people today are still looking to improve themselves. People are looking for ways in which they can be better. And if you go to any kind of spirituality section in the bookshop, you'll find a whole ton of self-help books for you to become a better person. And yet none of them actually ever address the fundamental problem of our sinfulness. People want to improve without actually addressing some of these issues. And so all this makes it hard for us to talk about the problem, the problem of sin. Of course, what makes it even harder, of course, is the scandals within church. You start to talk about sinfulness to anyone outside of the church, you will come across as a hypocrite because they will look at the church and see paedophile priests and all that kind of stuff. And they'll throw that back in your face. Because how can you talk about sin when you can't even deal with it in your own church? And to... It's right, isn't it? It's absolutely right. At that point, we all take a step back and think, yeah, how can I? There's a couple of things I want to talk about in this. And the first thing I want to talk about here is our attitude to sin. All too often, Christians come across as hypocrites and fundamentalists And all sorts of other things that are never quite nice because of the way we talk about sin. And so I want to take us to Jesus because he's our role model, isn't he? I think when you look at the story of Jesus in scripture, he does two things when it comes to sin. Firstly, he calls out the self-righteous. How often does he do that with the Pharisees? He just calls them out. He holds them to account. There is absolutely no way they get away with anything with Jesus. 
He calls them all sorts of things like whitewashed tombs and all that kind of stuff. He holds the self-righteous to account. But the other thing he does is he lifts up a higher standard of living than even the Pharisees could never match. He holds up a standard of being that he calls each and every one of us to. And so in the Beatitudes, he calls us to be peacemakers. He calls us to be poor in spirit. He calls us to be all sorts of things. All of the parables about the kingdom are calling us as ordinary people to live out a kingdom lifestyle that is so much bigger and better and higher than the life that we have in our own flesh. He calls us to a higher standard. And so our attitude should always be balancing two things. We walk along this this tightrope of being, holding to this high standard that Jesus gives us, but also learning to be compassionate with those who don't meet that. And that is epitomizing Jesus dealing with the the sinful woman who is brought to him by a whole bunch of self-righteous men who throw this woman down in front of Jesus and say she was caught in adultery. They don't bring the husband, they bring her and they throw her down and say, Jesus, what are you going to do? And you know the story, he didn't do anything. He simply knelt and wrote in the sand and then says, the one without sin can cast the first stone. I wonder what went through the minds of those men at that point. As they're hoping that Jesus would in some way condemn this woman and show that they were right all the time. Jesus doesn't. He points the finger back at them. The one who had the very right to throw the first stone says to them, which of you is without sin? And in doing so, he does two things there, doesn't he? He, he holds self-righteous to account and he shows incredible compassion for this woman who's been brought to him. And then as these men skulk away with their heads down and their tails between their legs, he gently looks at this woman and says, Where are they all? Who's here to condemn you? And then he says, go and sin no more. He calls this woman to a higher way of living. He balances those two things. Holding people to account to a higher standard of living, but also compassion. And we all need that, don't we? Because we are all, without exception, sinners. And we are all, without exception, victims of other people's sin. Just like that woman. And Jesus treats her with compassion. And gently points her to a higher way. That needs to be our attitude. In any conversation that we have 
about the gospel with those outside of the church. We have to understand that we ourselves are sinners. Talking to another sinner. And that each of us are also the victims of other people's sin. And carry within us the hurt and the brokenness and the pain that that brings. We cannot be self-righteous about this. If we are to preach the gospel to anyone, we do so from a place of humility. Because we all need grace. Each and every one of us need grace. One of the most profound and encouraging and comforting sentences in Scripture is written by Paul. Paul, who everyone describes as this kind of harsh theologian and this harsh mission, missionary who calls people to account. In Romans 7, he talks about his own struggle with sin. And he says these words, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, and this I keep on doing. This is Paul, the one who holds holiness at the highest possible place, and he says he struggles himself. And when it comes to sharing the gospel, I would never ever want you or myself to come across as self-righteous. We need to recognise that we are all people struggling with our own sin, dealing with our own issues. And we're just trying to lead people to the place of grace that we have found. That is actually the good news, isn't it? That we who are sinners have found grace in the one who is without sin. And the one thing I hate to see on TV is Christians with placards condemning every single person because that is not Jesus. That's not Jesus with a woman at his feet who says, where are all those pointing the finger at you? That's not Jesus. Jesus wouldn't be there with a placard. He'd be there with grace, calling people out of grace to a higher life, to a higher standard of living. Paul says later on in Romans 7, in my inner being, I delight in God. And you can see that on every page of his letters. He delights in God. And then he says, but there is something within me waging war. That's our sinfulness. And we're all in that place of this constant battle of trying to live a life that is pleasing to God and yet also battling against our own issues. We are all there in that place. We now know that we are all an imperfect people trying to live out our faith in an imperfect way. And in that we are no longer under condemnation because we've received the grace of God. And yet why do we constantly want to bring other people under condemnation? That's not our role. 
And so even before we think about how we talk about sin and how we talk about the problem, let's get our attitude right. Let's check ourselves that we're not coming across as the kind of self-righteous people that Jesus tore down constantly. So how can we describe sin? How can we talk about sin to people? Because sin is the problem. It's the very thing that separates them from God. So how do we talk about it? The most traditional way of talking about sin is that it is breaking the rules that God has set us. Most people would kind of say, well, that's kind of like what sin is. It's breaking God's rules. And yet it is an incomplete definition because it doesn't take into account the sins of omission, the things that we know that we should do but don't do. Quite often it doesn't take into account our attitudes that can be really sinful. And so describing sin as simply breaking the rules of God, it's not wrong, it's just incomplete. And so I want to give you a different way of talking about sin that I think is more helpful today, especially in talking to perhaps younger generations. In the kind of uh, preparation for this, I obviously did quite a bit of reading. Uh, not that it's not, I don't know about sin. I know sin very well. It's about how you talk about sin. That's the issue, isn't it? And uh, I came across two definitions by two different people who I respect. One of whom is Timothy Keller, who's, a, who's an incredible biblical scholar and theologian who runs a pastor of a church, but he's always trying to relate scripture relevantly to today's society. And the other one is uh, Rebecca Manley Puppet. Anyone ever read the book uh, Out of Salt Shaker? You might remember that book. It was a great book about evangelism. It's probably about 30 years old, maybe even older now, and she's written lots of books since. They both describe sin in different words, but in exactly the same way. Let me give you Timothy Keller's. He says, sin is building your life and meaning on something that might be good, but is not God. Building your life and meaning on something that might be good, but is not God. And Rebecca Pippett says this, sin is using God substitutes to give our life meaning instead of God. Now you might be thinking, yeah, but what about lying and cheating and all those kind of things? See, the problem is that when we focus on specific sins, we are focusing on the symptoms and not the root cause. The root cause can be described in one word. Idolatry. What's the first commandment? <laughs> Have no other gods but me. That is the very first commandment, isn't it? And if you look at the story of Israel all the way through the Old Testament, it is simply a battle against idolatry. That is sin at its root cause. All the other things that we focus on, the individual sins, come out of idolatry. That idolatry might be putting yourself above God. That idolatry might be putting a relationship above God. 
That idolatry might be putting money above God and wealth above God. And the problem that every single one of us has, every single person in this entire world, is that we are always looking for God's substitutes instead of God himself. That is what real sin's about. And so when we prayed the confession before, we didn't itemise all the different sins that we could have made. We simply said, we didn't love you with our whole heart. That's what we confessed, isn't it? See, Anglican liturgy is always good theology. That is real sin. Everything else comes out of that. The lying and the cheating and the stealing and all that kind of stuff comes out of, effectively, idolatry. Now, let me encourage you to never say to someone who's not a Christian, you're an idolater, because that will get you nowhere, all right? That's not the way to do evangelism. But what you can do is talk about how they are living their lives and trying to put something in the place that God should be. Because God's calling them to a higher standard of living, to a higher sense of identity. And identity is a word that most people understand today and most people relate to. This is my identity. I am this, I am that, I am the other. And when that identity crashes, there's an opportunity to point them to a higher identity, the identity that we have as children of God. Because when God calls us into relationship with him, he changes our identity. And so we are called to a higher place of living, a higher standard of living. Romans 1.25 says this. Paul writes, and he's talking about Israel, and he says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. All around us and also within this building right now, each and every one of us are putting our trust in all sorts of things other than God. And when you start to talk about shaping your life and building your life on God rather than on something else. You are getting to the root cause of the problem. When Adam and Eve ate that apple, it was because they were looking for something else other than God. They were looking to be God themselves. And so when we talk about what the fall is, when we talk about the problem that God created this beautiful world and he created humanity in it to live with him and to be with him and to walk in the cool of the day with him. When God created that, the problem was we didn't want that. We wanted something else. And that continues today. The problem of sin for us today is that we've chosen to put something in the place of God. And that something can be so many things. It can be relationships. It can be family. It can be wealth. It can be power. It can be career. 
It can be a whole ton of things. And the problem for all of us is that we find that those things never satisfy. We go chasing after more. Instead of chasing after the the one thing, the one person that we should chase after, God himself. Sin is finding a substitute for God and basing your life on that. And the great thing about trying to frame the problem in those terms is that it doesn't make you sound self-righteous. Because you're no longer saying you shouldn't do that and you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do the other. You're saying we're all in the same place. We all have this tendency towards finding a substitute for God. And yet God is calling us to a higher place where we put our trust in him, where we shape and build our lives on him and around him. He calls us to that place. So you don't sound self-righteous anymore. And when you shape your conversation around those things, what you don't get caught up with is a great debate about what's right and wrong. Because anyone that you're having a discussion with could simply say to you, well, who are you to say that homosexuality is wrong? Who are you to say that? It's no good saying what it says in the Bible because they don't believe in the Bible. But what they do know is that they have to shape their life on something. And that something may not satisfy. And when you shape your life on something other than God, it will fail. And that's sin. Let me say one more thing and then I'm going to finish. The danger for each and every one of us is that we take upon ourselves to try and convict people of their sin. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to do that. You can have conversations with people. You can have discussions and debates with people. But the work of conviction is down to the Spirit of God. And so Jesus says in John 16, when he comes, he'll prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. He will convict the world. And in the people that you are talking to, in the people that you're trying to share your faith with, don't try and convict them that they are wrong. Because all too often what we want to do is win the argument. And in winning the argument, we lose the person. What we are trying to do is call people into something that will give them life. You don't have to look like you are right all the time. Because just by looking right doesn't mean that you will win someone for Jesus. Simply call people to the higher sense of being that God calls us to be. As children of God as people who are living out their life that is built on him. And let him do everything else. 
because that's his work. It doesn't have to be yours.